0: One of the great mystery authors of the 20th century is a woman named Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers wrote a series of detective novels that star the Lord Peter Whimsey. Peter is a very bright fellow, but actually his life is very sad. He suffers from World War I trauma. And he can't seem to find happiness, lasting happiness, in any of the relationships with women he pursues. Each story is actually a relational train wreck that leaves him more hurting and more lonely. Until Dorothy Sayers introduces a new character into the series named Harriet Vane. Harriet wins Peter's heart, she ends up marrying Peter, and he finds new meaning and purpose. Harriet's arrival transforms Peter's whole life for the better. Now there's some interesting things about this woman who suddenly comes on the scene. She happens to be, Harriet happens to be one of the first women to ever receive a degree from Oxford University. She also happens to be the writer of detective novels. Hmm, that's coincidental. The author Dorothy Sayers, too, is the author of detective novels, and she was one of the very first women to ever receive a degree from Oxford University. Do you see what Dorothy Sayers has done? She basically wrote herself into the story in order to save the sad Peter that she created. We began tonight in Genesis 3 where the crisis of humanity began. God created Adam and Eve, placed them in a world perfectly suited for them, but they rebelled against him and plunged themselves into sin and misery. Now, God the author could have put down the pen right then in Genesis 3. But the story of humanity would have been very short and very sad. But instead of closing the Bible, God kept writing. 65 more books, in fact. (laughs) Starting in Genesis 3.15, which we read, God began to inspire prophets, authors, to write of a coming hero, one who would rescue us out of our sin and misery, one who would rescue us out of our loneliness, out of our sorrow, a hero who would save mankind and change the whole world. And about halfway into our Bibles, the prophet Isaiah sees a boy who would be born of a virgin and his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see what God is doing? (laughs) To save those he created, God decided to write himself into our story. Welcome to Isaiah chapter 7. Now hear the word of our God. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz Ask a sign of the Lord your God let it be deep as shale or high as heaven But Ahaz said I will not ask and I will not put God to the test And he said Hear then O house of Israel, O house of David Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, will you run the heavens and come down. Make your presence known that no one here will will be left unchanged. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Names are very important. Perhaps some of you remember trying to choose a name for your child. You want to pick out something special, something with significance. Well, in the Bible, names carry with themselves meanings that communicate realities. We just heard about a boy named Emmanuel, meaning God, with us. Chapter 7 began with Isaiah. Actually, if you back up to the beginning of this chapter, Isaiah bringing another son, Sheer Yashub, to visit this King Ahaz we hear about. She'er Yashub means a remnant shall return. This boy was actually a sign, a sign of God's promise to bring the future exiles back to the promised land. And in chapter 8, Isaiah's wife gives birth to another boy named Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Parents, you might want to write this one down. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It means quick to the plunder. And that can be the nickname for that first child to dart to the Christmas tree tomorrow morning. Mahal Shalal Hashbash. Friends, God named these boys to serve as signs, actually, to an anxious anxious people in this day. I didn't read all of Isaiah 7, but verse 2 actually gives us the temperature of the nation of Judah. The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. The folks of Judah were stressed out and anxious. What for? Crisis after crisis after crisis. King Ahaz's foreign policy has been a total disaster. They got enemies surrounding them and beginning to take city after city. They lost a major seaport in this time. The king's highway has been lost, so now their trade route is gone philistines are pilfering on the western border you got the edomites in the south oh but worst of all now the king of syria and the king of ephraim have joined together to come attack judah and to remove king ahaz and replace him making an already dysfunctional nation into a puppet state can you imagine watching the judah nightly news actually our news about this winter storm (laughs) did you feel overwhelmed by all the warnings There was a winter storm warning, a blizzard warning, an ice storm warning, a winter chill warning, freezing temperature warning, and there's about four or five others. And that was just a passing storm. (laughs) The daily warnings Judah faced were far more weighty, far more distressing, far more depressing. Now, the Bible teaches us that God actually allows crisis to come when people lose all sense of his glory. Isaiah actually saw God's glory in the chapter previous to this, and it totally changed his whole perspective on the whole world. That's why Isaiah became this prophet, pointing folks back to God in Ahaz's day. And Isaiah has a message for our own stressed and anxious day. We're in a culture facing multiple crises as well, right? Have you found yourself fearful of the future? Unhappy in your heart? You ever feel your center just being shaken? Sick over your safety? Over your security? Concerned about your kids? Nauseous over our nation? Friends, Christmas is the answer. You're right where you need to be to discover God's heavenly help. And God has brought you here tonight or online to hear a word of assurance. Like Isaiah, I'm simply God's messenger bringing you a word of assurance. The question for you, though, is will you receive it? Believe it in your heart and let it warm your soul. And will you assume it? And by that I mean let it consume your mind. Let God's goodness be your controlling conscience. God's goodness. That's actually the question for Ahaz, who at this time in his life is far from God and frantic to guard his throne. God sends Isaiah to call Ahaz back with a word of assurance about Syria and Ephraim. Actually, God said in, chapter, in verse 4, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Basically, God's saying, don't worry, Ahaz. I can crush your enemies like a couple of cigarette butts. That's all they are to me. I think this is a word for some of us as well. We've been putting our trust in the wrong things. And where has it got us? So we need to stop living for our glory and be enthralled with God's glory. To Stop looking for our, help and, our hope, help and hope elsewhere and put our faith in God. God's final word before I just read was, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Some hearts here know the sense of shaking like leaves. Some of us feel thin as cardboard and we feel that the places we've constructed are a house of cards. But God is saying right here to you right now, faith in me is the only sure and certain foundation you can have in this life. God is asking for your heart and your mind, your affections and your thoughts. Will you wholeheartedly put yourself in the hands of a great and a gracious God and do it with enthusiasm and joy? expecting him to just grace you with goodness that's beyond all you could ever ask for or imagine. Will you put all your chips in on God and let it ride? Lean on him and you can't fall. Ahaz here, though, he apparently is not yet on board. That's why God nudges him. In verses 10 and 11, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. How would any of you like if God gave you a blank check? (laughs) God says, ask me for anything. I want to prove that you can trust me, and here's what I'll do. Ask me for the deepest thing you can imagine. Ask me for the sky. Verse 12, But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz is trying to sound really pious here, but it's crystal clear he doesn't want to trust God. If I'm has, and I know there's two armies on the march towards me, you know what I'm asking for? God, rain cosmic fireballs on my enemies, please. But he doesn't do that. Why? Alec Moitier says, to refuse a proffered sign is proof that one does not want to believe. To refuse a sign is proof that one does not want to believe. Why would Ahaz not want to believe? Because Ahaz knows there are strings attached. He's handing over control of his life. If Ahaz agrees, well, he is basically handing over the pen that is writing the story of Ahaz. And if God takes up the pen and God directs his life, who gets the glory at the end for the story? Ahaz wants to be the alone author of his life to live how he wants and to keep all the glory for himself. How do you think that's going to work out for him? Not well. Ahaz actually will assume his own doom here and that of his nation. Instead of turning to and trusting God, Ahaz, you know what he does? He takes a whole bunch of his treasure and he sends it off to Assyria. Assyria was actually the biggest bully on the block in this day. So Ahaz is bribing Assyria to conquer Assyria and Ephraim. And Assyria happily takes his money and they do just that. They wipe out Assyria and Ephraim. Problem solved, right? No. All this did was buy Ahaz and Judah a little bit of time. You see, Ahaz is kind of like a mouse being attacked by two rats. And so the mouse calls out for the cat to come and rescue him. So what does the cat do after it has its fun with the rats? Yeah, it's time to have fun with the mouse. In verse 12, Ahaz rejects trusting in God because he wants to trust in his own plans. He refuses to let God be his ally. Look at Isaiah's response. And he, Isaiah, said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? You notice that in verse 11, he said, Your God, Ahaz, Ahaz, your God. He wants to prove he wants to rescue you. This is an invitation, your God. But Ahaz rejects God, and so now Isaiah says in verse eleven, My God. My God. You see, there's no neutral ground. And Isaiah and Ahaz still gets a sign. He still gets a sign anyways. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since that day Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Ahaz rejects the sign, but he still gets one anyways, the sign of... Of Emmanuel, the sign of Emmanuel. When you hear the prophecy of Emmanuel, what do you think of? The good news of Jesus, right? And it's a wonderful verse. I love the verse. It's one of the greatest revelations of the heart of God that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. We're going to read this Matthew quote this in our final text, and he's going to say, "This prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus' birth." The friends, we see here there's more to Old Testament prophecy than meets the eye. You see, this prophecy was as much for the folks of Ahaz Day as it was for those in the time and that after of Christ's birth. What do you mean, Joel? I think perhaps Grover of Sesame Street can help us here, help us understand prophecy. You see, that blue fuzzy fellow, he taught me something when I was little. He stood up really close to the camera and he said, near. I'm not doing a good Grover intent I can't do Grover. Up the roll close the camera. Near. And then he ran off, and way off in the distance. Far. Then he ran back up the camera. Near. All the way back. Far. And then he gets really tired back and forth all the way and gets exasperated. This prophecy was near to Ahaz, fulfilled in his day. Verse 16 says that this boy will be born before those two kings he's worried about have the tables turned on him. There is a boy named Emmanuel, a baby boy born, showing that God was with Ahaz in this day. Now there's a whole lot of debate about this mystery Emmanuel, whether he's Ahaz's son, Isaiah's son, Hezekiah, if it was a virgin conception. I'm not interested in all that tonight. Ask me later or not, it'll be a Christmas present to you for me. I want us to get the big point. The big point. The sign of Emmanuel of God's presence was bad news for Ahaz. It was bad news for Ahaz. If the boy's eating curds and honey, this is not a happy diet. Some of you may think, "Ooh, that sounds... No, that's not a happy diet. If all you have is cottage cheese and yogurt, that means your grocery stores are empty. <laughs> yeah, Ahaz's enemies will be gone, but his people and his house will face judgment they'll face judgment as well. He could have known deliverance. He could have been saved by God and his immediate presence. But he chose not to put his trust in God like King David, his ancestor, had done. And Ahaz's story ends badly. Read Second Chronicles 28 if you want to hear about it. Greater and greater distress and greater and greater faithlessness. That's the spiral that his life becomes. Our final text tonight is going to tell us the story of Joseph who finds out that his betrothed Mary is pregnant and Joseph decides to divorce her. An angel of the Lord will appear to Matthew in the middle of the night and say, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then, right after Matthew tells us that this was to fulfill the prophecy of the virgin conception, a boy named Emmanuel, God with us. Commentators scratch their heads and they're trying to make the connection here. Here's the connection Matthew identifies Joseph there, did you hear it? As a son of David like Ahaz, was a son of David. And Joseph, like Ahaz, is facing a crisis in his life. He's just had a bombshell dropped on his whole life. You realize that? His future's gone. In this culture, his reputation and social status are ruined. His best option at this point is a quiet divorce. If he marries her, well, folks will shame him because they'll assume he's to blame. Or they'll just think he's stupid for marrying a harlot. And like Ahaz, God sends a messenger to this son of David whose first word is what? Do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. God is saying to him, be firm in your faith, Joseph. Trust me that this child is a sign from me. And right after we hear that this is the fulfillment of the Emmanuel promise, God with us. And we'll see a different response to God's call to not fear from this son of David, but to have faith. The first son of David, Ahaz, had everything to gain by trusting God, but he refused. The later son of David, Joseph, has everything to lose by trusting God, and he believes. And both were given the same sign, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel was bad news for Ahaz. For Joseph, Emmanuel was good news. Joseph cast his cares on the Lord, trusting God to care for him. Joseph basically handed over the pen at this point of his life, trusting God to give his story meaning and purpose in the hardship. His life wasn't easy. And guess what? Joseph's story turns out well. How do you know, Joel? Because by believing, Joseph ended up receiving Jesus into his heart, his home, his life. That means Joseph stands forgiven. Why? Because God gave that boy a name, the name Jesus. Why Jesus? Because he would save his people from their sins. You see, that name points to a significant reality we have all sinned against our God. And that is the greatest crisis any of us face. But wonderfully, Christmas tells us it doesn't have to be. I just asked yesterday and a few times this week, if I am ready for Christmas, Joel, are you ready for Christmas? And I know that when people ask me that, they're probably asking me whether you know I've got my shopping done or the house is decorated or... I'm turning that around. I want to ask you that same question. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Emmanuel, God with us? You see, Emmanuel is a reality. God is with us because on a cold night, Jesus was born in our flesh. But we see that Emmanuel, God with us, goes one of two ways. God with us does not mean God for us if we're not firm in our faith, if we're not looking to the cross where Jesus paid for all of our sins. It's either bad news or it's good news. It depends on whether you believe and give yourself wholeheartedly to the God who gave himself for us. I encourage you to give your heart to him if you've not already and watch him write your story to a wonderful ending that can be better than all you could ever ask for or imagine. I would consider that a Christmas present if someone came up and told me, Pastor Joel, I'm truly ready for Christmas. That's what I want for Christmas. To see people coming to Jesus. To hear a beloved soul has received Jesus into their home, into their life, into their heart. And if you're almost there, but you don't have the words, I want to encourage you to pray with me right now. Let us go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving me life and bringing me here to hear about the new life offered me in Jesus Christ who came into our world like we do who, and I know that he lived the life that I failed to and he offered his life for my sins. Heavenly Father, forgive me for loving this world in my glory more than you and your glory. Forgive me for not trusting you with the life you gave me and I ask that you'll give me your Holy Spirit so that Jesus Christ may enter my life and live in me and die in him and that I may live to your glory. And I ask this be- not because I'm worthy, but because you are worthy and you get greater glory out of recreating a sinner into a saint than you got out of creating me in the first place. Thank you for making me ready for Christmas and for the greater glory to come in the resurrection life when we will gaze upon the beauty of our Lord Jesus who became all we are by nature that we might become all He is by grace alone. And we pray this in His name. Amen.